Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Hello and welcome to Bewilderbeast. I'm your host, Melissa Mickey McGrath, recording 62 miles from the Von Karman line. That is the point in which space officially starts. And today we are talking about some pretty funky pets putting the ah in aviation. <laughs> like, guys, this is the 99th episode. I am tired. Are <laughs> you ready? Let's go. Y'all, this is the penultimate episode of Bewilderbeast, and I was trying to find a way to get the story of Kiddo the Cat into so many episodes before. Y'all will know why I wanted to do this as soon as we get to the part, which you will hear later. But it wasn't quite long enough to warrant an entire episode. At least I thought. With a little rabbit hole in, uh, I will not check that out on Urban Dictionary, and a lot of padding... I get to introduce y'all to Kiddo. This is a passing character in this absolutely bonkers jaunt through history. And truthfully, I would much rather talk about Kiddo than some of the other animals in space and travel. I've had several requests earlier on about Leica, the first dog in space, and that story actually really bummed me out. <laughs> Lego was a hero and she went into space and she undoubtedly changed the course of our ability to explore space, but she was never supposed to survive and she didn't. Um, and so while we applaud her going up, it was a much different tie and her journey was not a good one for her. Kiddos is much more fun to tell. Even though the cat is very stressed out, it works out really well <laughs> because cheeky cats are always much more fun to talk about than pretty much anything else. And a quick note on this episode, there is one swear word that does keep coming up for comedic effect. It is a phrase tied to the historical event discussed today and then is repeated for comedic effect in a few other points during the episode and also to remind people who the players are in the story because there are a lot of people. <laughs> the particular curse word is not bleeped today, though historically I have bleeped every other one in the last 98 episodes. It references the big guy in the sky with what a beaver makes as a house. If that combination is not something that you are personally comfortable with or don't want your littles to hear, I totally understand and will not be offended if you peace out for this one. But I do hope you stay because it is a journey and I mean no offense. So with that, 
Go and share this with some friends or any episode that you like with a friend and enjoy this around the world journey, literally through the skies. Nineteen ten. What a time to be alive. Five of the first entries in Wikipedia dates, though, were mine explosions. Okay, so that's not great. Oh, this one, Dr. Crippen. Ooh, an American homeopathic doctor, one of the OG ear, nose, and throat guys, American born. Ooh, poisons his wife Cora and buries her body in the cellar of their London home. Hmm. I'm adding this here, actually, because it does seem like 1910 was actually not a great time to be alive. But the Dr. Crippen case was the first criminal caught by technology that we use and love today, wireless, which is a thread in today's episode, as is 1910. Yep, Dr. Crippen was the first baddie caught by wireless telegraphy. Telegraphy? Telegraphy. Wireless telegram magic sauce. We'll go with that. Basically what amounts to old-timey texting, but using radio waves from a boat to land over the ocean. We are not talking about Dr. Crippen today, just the, uh, the technology. President Taft, the United States president who had been rumored to have been stuck in a bathtub, was, well, the president. And the first filmed version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein comes out in this year. So 1910. It's been a minute. I hope that sets the scene. But what we didn't have, at least not yet, was purposeful manned flight with a pilot going in a specific direction and hopefully a direction we really want to go while not going boom. So in October of 1910, the airship America was departing from New Jersey and it successfully took off. This was huge news. This was the first time that a vessel built for the sky was going to attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean. All of the Atlantic Ocean. In one go. Hopefully. But before we get to that 1910 flight from the Jurors, we're going to back up a wee bit and look at Captain Walter Wellman. He was a newspaper guy in a time where newspapers were key, see? He loved the printed medium so much, he started his very first paper when he was 14 years old. When I was 14, I was making pasta sandwiches because I thought that's what carving up was. It was a different time. Walter Wellman's side hustle after creating the Cincinnati Evening Post a few years after was going off in search of the North Pole. After a few not-quites via land, he decided going by air was going to be the best bet of finding one of Earth's unexplored and untouched gems. Cold, cold gems. Thanks to a $75,000 investment from his newspaper, and a great example of it's not what you know, but who you know, explorer and real-life Ron Swanson, President Teddy Roosevelt, came together to create what amounts to a rather large balloon shaped like a leaning tower of Pisa-sized football that carries people. The airship, named America, arrived from France, was unpacked, and like Amazon packages that aren't quite as advertised, immediately sent back to France because the engines were not working. Take two. In 1907, Wellman unpacked, put together this airship like an Ikea couch, then left on the America in search of the North Pole from Norway. And with all the eyes of the world on him and his team and his big, beautiful, inflated polar balloon, 
had to turn around after 20 miles due to snow. That's getting on the highway, going two exits on I-95 outside of any city and hearing, we forgot a kid. This is not boding well for a journey to the North Pole, famous for snow, if snow ground you 20 miles into the journey. Back to the drawing board. Two years after that, in 1909, they tried again. This time they made it 40 miles. So improvement. But by this time, Robert Perry's team laid claim to the unclaimed North Pole by land. With bruised egos and a beat up pride, I'm guessing, Wellman decided instead on a different tactic. This man was committed to being the first to do something. He'd sailed this beast of a balloon across the Atlantic. After a bit of a rebuild, and now bigger, better, balloonier, at 228 feet long, which is about two-thirds the length of both a soccer pitch and a football field, and what I'm calling Chekhov's 27-long mahogany lifeboat, Walter Wellman and his crew were ready to roll. Now, you may have heard the terms airship and zeppelin. An airship is basically a really big balloon that, I guess, cannot in the snow. At least based on this story above, I did no further research than what is here on these pages. <laughs> the zeppelins, however, were airships with a rigid frame holding the balloon and were used in World War I for bombing raids and after Hitler's rise in Germany, emblazoned with swastikas. So now you can win a round of trivia if you are ever, ever asked what the difference is between an airship and a zeppelin and it happens to be frames and Nazis. <laughs> the airship, with no metal frame and presumably no Nazis on board, were set to leave from the Jersey Shore a hundred years before millennials were inundated with everything Jersey Shore, including velour sweatsuits, big glittery sunglasses, and the words Snooky and JWoww. Anybody not in that timeline or generation, happy Googling. According to animals.howstuffworks.com, quote, the flight struggled from the start. Off New England's coast, the engines failed and the ship began to drift southward. The trip seemed doomed at that point. Even before then, though, the crew had to deal with that darned cat. End quote. So at 8 a.m. on Saturday, October 15, 1910, Walter Wellman and his crew, Chief Engineer Melvin Vanneman, Mechanics Frederick Albert and Louis Loud Jr., Officer Murray Simon as navigator, and Jack Irwin manning the radio. Oh, and one more crew member, a stray cat named Kiddo. Murray Simon was known to be superstitious and before taking off, yoinked a stray cat who had been taking up residence in the airship's hangar. Quote, we can never have luck without a cat on board, he said. If this were true, the crew would have maybe been better off with a different cat. Now, all these jobs, the navigation post seemed maybe the easiest on this ship, as Wilman Wellman said, quote, While the plan is to follow the steamer tracks as best we can, we do not aim at making a landing at any particular place nor even a particular country. Any spot between Gibraltar and the North Cape will look good to us. Given that his navigation guy now had this cat to tend to on board, it's probably better that he had a broad range to aim for. As the airship was towed to sea, anticipation rising for this historic voyage, the navigator, whose job was to find land, was instead quite preoccupied. Quote from him in the New York Times. Quote, 
all the time we've been towed to sea, I am chiefly worried about our cat, who is rushing around the airship like a squirrel in a cage. I was at the wheel, and Jack Irwin, the wireless man who was seated in the lifeboat suspended from the car of the airship, cried out to me, This cat is raising hell. I believe it's going mad. End quote. In fact, those aboard the flight were not as into their lucky mascot's misbehavior. So they put the cat in a bag and tried to lower the bagged cat into a boat of journalists that were following behind the airship at the very beginning of the journey. And it turns out the only real luck here is that the bag couldn't actually land in the boats. Not sure if it was due to wind, weather, or that the navigator only needed to hit a broad swatch of land and was unable to control the airship within 700 miles of a target, which is super lucky for the journalists, because had that bag opened on a boat with a fractious cat inside, there would have been such a need for antibiotics that were not yet invented, and a lot of people could have been really, really hurt or died from infection. <laughs> so the crew, unable to leave their good luck symbol behind, towed the cat back into the airship and continued on their journey. The plan was for the journey at a rockin' 20 miles an hour to take about six days from New Jersey land to somewhere else land. But just four hours after takeoff, well over the ocean, one of the engines failed. The quote from HowStuffWorks.com says, The flight struggled from the start, fighting bad weather and bulky engines that apparently had been infected by sand from the New Jersey shore. I suspect infected by sand from the Jersey shore was not an accepted t-shirt slogan for boardwalk vendors at any point in history, but I would a thousand percent buy that shirt. With only the single engine, the crew made a decision. Keep on keeping on. But as it got darker, the sparks that had likely been sparking this whole time were much more noticeable. The airship was afloat due to hydrogen. Now for those playing the home game, hydrogen, very flammable. So while all of this was happening, sparky things happening in the dark, being set adrift in the wrong direction, going very, very, very south, with one working engine, they also had to deal with their lucky cat. This cat later led to the very first wireless transmission from an aircraft, and the whole reason I wanted to do this episode. We have famous first words like Alexander Graham Bell's Mr. Watson, come here, I want to see you. Neil Armstrong's One Small Step for Man, One Giant Leap for Mankind. And now we can add Roy Come get this goddamned cat to the list. (laughs) After nearly 48 hours in the sky, a combination of hot sun and gas expanding, plus a whoopsie from one of the crew sending more hydrogen into the balloon instead of air, the airship zipped up really fast to 3,000 feet. They also lost a lot more hydrogen than intended with this, meaning they probably would not have enough hydrogen to stay afloat to make the entire crossing. Then the wind started blowing a different direction. Then the wind got stronger. Then the America went way off course, south and west towards Bermuda. You know where that super lucky Bermuda Triangle is and south of where New Jersey is by a considerable amount. 
With colder air at night compressing the gas, it was time to call it quits. The crew knew they could not stay afloat in the sky. While it wasn't the list of firsts that Walter Wellman had hoped for, I'm almost certain of it. He is the leader of the crew with the first wireless transmission from the sky and the first distress signal from an aircraft. Wireless operator Irwin began sending help, help, help signals on Monday night. And to complete the trifecta, this was the first ignored distress signal from a wireless transmission as the SOS's netted no response. Pretty sure this was not exactly the trifecta that Mr. Wellman was going for. On Tuesday, they have now been in the sky for 72 hours. The crew was able to get a signal finally with a signaling lamp using Morse code. This signal was received by a passing steamship that had wireless technicians on board. Jack Irwin, the America's comms dude, and the communications guy from the steamship were able to finally have a chit-chat. And that's when Jack Irwin said, Um, we're gonna need to abandon airship. Could you give us a lift? That's when the six men, and I can only imagine one very angry cat, dropped into the lifeboat mentioned at the beginning. They put the boat in the water, then untethered the boat. The mahogany boat was heavy enough that when it was released from the balloon, the balloon did what balloons untethered from toddler's hands at the fair do, went skyward, disappeared into the clouds, and was never seen again. According to airships.net, although America failed to cross the Atlantic as planned, the airship accomplished records for both time in the air, 71 and a half hours, as well as distance, having traveled 1,008 miles. According to me, 1,008 miles in the wrong direction, but still an amazing feat. There is an epilogue on airships.net where I'm getting much of this last bit of information, scattered with also information from the Holocaust Memorial Museum. After that failed flight, William Wellman took his lumps and retired from aviation. He died in 1934 between World Wars I and II. Chief Engineer of the America Melvin Vanneman, he who is credited with speaking the first aircraft-to-ground communication about a certain lucky cat, lucky is in air quotes, I hope you could hear that, he tried one more time to cross the Atlantic a couple years later in the Akron, another airship. In fact, the lifeboat that saved him in 1910 was used here on the Akron as well. But it did not save Melvin Vanneman on this journey. Shortly after takeoff, again from Atlantic City, New Jersey, the Akron crashed and killed almost everyone on board. The lifeboat was dug out of the disaster and is now able, available to be seen at the National Air and Space Museum. Then navigator Murray Simon who was told to go get his goddamn cat, was actually able to ultimately cross the Atlantic by sky. While the first successful sky crossing happened nine years after America's failed journey in 1919, Murray Simon made it coast to coast almost 17 years after that crossing in 1936. This was in the waking years of the rise of the Nazi party and a little known Zeppelin at the time taking its maiden voyage with a swastika emblazoned on the tail, the Hindenburg. Hindenburg, named for Paul van Hindenburg, president of Germany in 1925, at a time of intense unrest, he ultimately felt he could not rule unless by decree, causing him to essentially become an authoritarian leader. Do as I say, no democracy here. 
Those policies angered many Germans, rightfully so, still suffering the aftermath of World War I, the 1919 flu, and so many other worldwide events that we do not have time to get into here. It was Hindenburg, President Hindenburg, who made Hitler chancellor because his advisors told him by not allowing the Nazi party any seats in government, they will never unify Germany. This ill-fated advice ultimately, despite Hindenburg's very public hate of Hitler, gave rise to the Nazi party, and 12 years after becoming president of Germany and months after Mr. Goddamn Cat crossed on that fated ship's maiden voyage, the Hindenburg famously exploded in a fiery ball of hydrogen, the very gas used on the America. The very gas that caused the America to lift 3,000 feet rapidly. But in this case, the hydrogen caused both the end of the Hindenburg in approximately 16 seconds, according to mathematical equations from NASA scientists, taking the swastika on the side with it. As reporters famously exclaimed, oh, the humanity. I'm sure there's a metaphor in there somewhere. And while there were many firsts in this story, the Hindenburg's explosion just a year or so into its job as a flying machine solidified the end of the airship era. The Hindenburg, this is true, had a smoker's lounge despite being a flying ball of flammable gas. The room was pressurized and there was only one lighter aboard the entire boat and it had to stay in the smoker's lounge. No one could leave the room with a lit cancer stick. And while the Hindenburg was the most famous airship explosion in history, in part thanks to the media and the tele-everyone recording the Hindenburg flying over New York City en route to its dock that day, the survivors luckily outnumbered, by far, the number of deaths on that explosion. The deadliest dirigible disaster? That was the aforementioned Akron, the ship Melvin Vanneman died on along with 72 other souls. Only three men survived on that particular day. The Hindenburg disaster happened in Manchester Township, New Jersey. But what about the cat? Well, because this is how marketing and things happened back then, Kiddo the cat was put in a gilded cage. I'm sure that went great. And he was put on display, alive, at Gimbel's department store in New York City. Once the public was done with him, either tired of the cat, or a new display was better, or the cat was just really angry, I'm going with the last one, they needed to get him out. Kiddo lived the rest of his days with Wellman's daughter, Edith. So thank you for joining me today on Bewilderbeasts. I was actually really concerned I wouldn't have enough in this episode because there just wasn't a lot on this cat. But there were so many little rabbit holes to jump into. I felt I could tell Kiddo's story and teach a bit of history too. I feel like stories like this are peak Bewilderbeasts, and, and these are my favorite ones to tell. The ones where I get to learn a whole lot and tie pieces of history facts once learned in middle and high school together in a thread that I just couldn't quite grasp or even, truthfully, I found outright boring <laughs> when I was a student. I just needed to learn this stuff in a different way, and if that's you, welcome! Follow these threads and explore using the compass of curiosity, and with that, let's go on to today's resources. I got today's information from animals.howstuffworks.com, airships.net, Wikipedia on Harvey Crippen, 1910, America Airship, Melvin Vanneman, 
and then also History.com, The Measure of Thing, The Holocaust Encyclopedia at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, and Snopes.com. If you get a minute, look up Melvin Vanneman. His artwork and what he did before getting on these ships is a whole other story that somebody else can tell. He used to climb skyscraper poles and take photos in the 1900s, the early 1900s, like he was a stunt cameraman before getting into dirigible businesses. And there's a famous photo with him holding kiddo the lucky cat. He didn't look unhappy given how upset he was with the cat at the beginning of their journey. I'd like to think that they made up before parting ways. Intro and outro is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz. Interstitial music is by MK2. All other sound effects, music, and all that jazz is from artists on Pixabay and freesound.org. I'm Melissa McKee McGrath with the Podfix Network. I did it! First try! And Mutt Stuff Media. Now go get curious, and I will see you one last time next week. Ciao! You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.